Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there. Welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. Very excited to have you here today, whether you are a new listener, welcome. And if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. This is episode, what, I think 37. So we've been doing this a little while now, uh, and I'm so grateful for your company. I know that your time is valuable, and the fact that you are taking a little bit of time to spend it with me, really, really honored. And Today is an interview episode, and I am so excited to introduce Ernice Williams to you. Ernice and I connected on Instagram a few months ago. She's at Your Nurse Lawyer, and she is a nurse and a lawyer. Uh, She has the most amazing story, which we'll dive into in the episode. But I wanted to bring her on not only to tell her story so that you can hear kind of her dreams and her passions and and how she created this very unique niche within the nursing world and the legal world too, but because she has amazing services and amazing resources to offer other nurses, nurse practitioners, healthcare providers because of her very unique, you know, intersection of healthcare and law. And I think this is something that we don't talk about as much as we should, especially providers, nurse practitioners. We don't talk as much about malpractice and legal situations. It's kind of this fear-based topic that sometimes we shy away from. So I wanted to bring Ernie's on to answer some common questions and to just kind of get the conversation going about different legal topics that we need to be aware of. And she and I recorded this interview a few months ago. So in that time, she was in a little bit of a transition in terms of her services. So I wanted to give an update now at the top of the episode to let you know exactly what she offers if you want to learn more from her. That way you can uh, go find her. So she's at Your Nurse Lawyer on Instagram, and her website is iwilliamslaw.com. She offers some one-on-one services, including contract review, healthcare consulting, organizational training, and she can be on retainer for your practice and give health and legal expert talks and trainings. So those are a little bit about her services. She also has an upcoming e-course, an online course called the Healthcare Provider's Guide to Mitigating Malpractice. And this isn't out yet at the time of my recording this intro. It may be out by the time the podcast airs, but whenever it's out, especially if you are a healthcare provider, I really encourage you to check this out. I can say with certainty that Ernice is a subject matter expert. She's a a good person to know, a good person to learn from. And I'm really excited to share her expertise with you today on the podcast. So let's go ahead and dive right into the episode. Hi, Ernice. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
I'm super excited to chat with you. And I know that this will be a really great topic for my listeners. So thank you very, very much. I have already introduced you, but I would love for you to tell us your story in your own words. And sometimes I like to ask this question and and talk just about the nursing story, but I would love if you would start kind of like back with childhood, Ernice, tell us what you wanted to be when you grew up and kind of how you entered the nursing path. Yeah. So growing up, um, I grew up with my grandparents. My dad was a wild child. So he kind of dropped me off with my grandparents to go explore the world or the country. I don't know where he was. (laughs) And so um, I grew up with his parents who were very much in the church. My grandfather um, was a pastor. And so we were all heavily involved in the church. And, you know, that was just kind of my life growing up, very simplistic, but very loving foundational home. Um, And then at one point I decided to go live with my dad and it was a a wild journey. Like he literally is just a very outgoing, very outspoken um, nomad. And so we traveled a lot. I grew up in Connecticut, was born in Connecticut. And so that's where I lived for a while, Um, but we would go back from Texas to Connecticut. Like it was just a very nomadic time. But in that, it kind of exposed me to a lot of different people, a lot of different experiences. I was with him, like literally with him anywhere you could imagine a child could be in a good way. Like he worked, he sold cars. So I got a lot to be around that type of environment. But growing up, my grandparents were always sickly. And so I always used to see nurses aides and visit them in the hospital. And so that whole nursing, caring, kind of nurturing experience kind of came from living with them. And so I kind of, that's where my heart was set growing up, middle school, high school. I kind of just already knew I wanted to get into medicine. I thought I wanted to be a doctor and then got into nursing school and was like, oh, I can't be in school forever. Like I really want to work. And so when I decided to go to college, I only applied to one school because I didn't really want to go to college. I kind of wanted to go to the military. And so I was like, well, I'll just apply to one school. I won't get in and then I'll go you know, to the military. My mom was like, you're crazy. And then I got in and then I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's destined. And so I went to Howard nursing school, took a little bit of um, around the way uh, time. So instead of four years, I did five, which gave me time to grow up because I skipped 11th grade and I was only like 17 when I got to Howard. So I was really young and that little gap year gave me time to take some classes and meet some new people figure my life out a little bit, and then graduated, got my dream job right out of nursing school. I started at Hopkins working the OR, which was the only place I ever really wanted to work. And then decided like I wanted more skills. I wanted to do more things, but I couldn't get in any other department in the hospital. So I moved back to DC, worked in Washington Hospital Center in the pre-op PACU. And there during that time, it was when the ACA was coming out and it was just a very politicized time. Like everything was just very political and it's also DC. So everyone works on the Hill and that's just how what people talk about at happy hour. So I was like, well, I want to be you know involved in some way. So I decided between getting a law degree and getting a public health degree. And I was like, well, if I get a law degree, I think I'll have more options. And so I decided to go to law school and Howard was, wasn't my top choice, but it was one of my choices. I ended up getting in there and it was a journey. During that time, Trayvon Martin was killed, Mike Brown was killed. And so it was heavy on protest, heavy on conversations about social justice. Howard is all already a school that is steeped in social justice work. And so this kind of just really amplified 
the work that was already being done. Um, and it really opened my eyes to things that I never really necessarily thought about and systemic oppression and how that related to healthcare. And so, um, you know, that journey just really made me feel like I need to be a bigger voice, a stronger voice to create that change for patients who are like me and essentially me when I became a patient. And in that time, I had a child when I was in law school, which was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people that, you know, I had him and I was like, he's going to come early so that I can go back to school. <laughs> and then just, of course, school started and he hadn't come. I literally had a C-section, got discharged, went to school two days later. It was such a bad thing. Yes, I wouldn't, as a nurse, (laughs) I would never advise it to any, I'm like, it is the most dangerous thing anyone could do. But they loved on me. They loved on my baby. Like my child was well taken care of with my classmates and my professors would let me bring him to class sometimes. And, you know, we graduated. (laughs) life happened. And the job that I thought that I was going to get when I graduated, I didn't get. And so I ended up back in healthcare. And I was like, okay, you know, it didn't feel bad, but it didn't feel good. I was really disappointed because I was like, I'm a nurse and I have a law degree. I'm so unique. People are going to hire me right off the street. Like, why wouldn't they hire me? I'm valuable. I would go to interviews and people would say like, I just don't understand why a nurse became a lawyer. Um, I don't see how the two work together. And hmm. I'm just like, lot. <laughs> like I've graduated from law school. I've completed all the courses. Even so, there are people who've never had a job who are out here working. Um, and so a lot of the positions I applied to, I never really got into, like people never could see the value of being a nurse. And that really bothered me because I know, I know how valuable nurses are, how much we do transcribe to the everyday world. Like it's not just healthcare. It's so much education. It's so much technology. Like we are literally changing all the time. So that really upset me in a way, but I'm like, okay, I'll just keep pushing through healthcare and figure out my way. And then when I finally couldn't find a job that I loved or aligned with what it was that I wanted to do, I decided to create my own law firm and create my own law practice and find something that really kind of fed me joy. And in doing that, I pivoted a couple of different times. I started doing medical malpractice and personal injury work, and that did not bring me joy. And so then I stopped like, okay, I don't want to do that. And let's keep figuring it out. And then this year, I kind of rebranded my practice to now work with healthcare providers and organizations and other organizations to do change management work, to do implicit bias training and work with healthcare providers to help them, to teach them how to protect their license. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Still working as a nurse. I do travel crisis nurse work now, but hoping next year I can be full-time in my practice and really push forward in doing what I really, really love. I love that. I just, I love your story. I'm glad that you rebranded because if you hadn't, I'm not sure that we ever would have connected. And I mean, I am also shocked that you had challenges finding work after law school because I see the value of the intersection of those two fields. Uh, and and I don't think anybody who's actually in healthcare would disagree how complementary they are to one another. And I'm I'm wondering, like when you went into law school, I know you said that you were in DC and you know things were very political. Did you have a vision of like your ideal target endpoint? Like what it looked like to embody both of those roles after school? Yeah. So I assumed that I would just go work for like the Department of Health and Human Services to help create policy um, that would further the, the goals of the Affordable Care Act, which was 
pretty much to expand care to marginalized communities, to people who didn't have access. Um, and that was kind of my idea that work, working with either Department of Health and Human Services or one of those agencies in that type of capacity, because a lot of other agencies do a lot of things in healthcare as well. But DC never really recovered, just like many other cities from the recession. And so they realized they can do more with less. And so there wasn't always a need to hire more people. And then especially when you hire in the federal government, it's based on your experience. So they have to take into account my years of work before and my education and all that. And so I would come in at a higher rate than someone who had never had a job before. And so, you know, the, even though, yes, I may be valuable in the sense of the knowledge that I have, the pay is going to be less for someone who has less experience than, some, than someone like me. So that kind of was what I kind of assumed as well, you know, was some of the challenges. But that was my, my, my goal. And I think I was so focused on going to work for the government that I didn't really explore all of the things that I could have done. I applied to hundreds of jobs, no doubt. But I think I really could have expanded the idea of the work that I was doing to get the experience that I think I could have gotten if I had just been more open-minded. And so when I speak to students who are, you know, coming up now and starting to interview, I'm like, take every opportunity put at your, your feet and you decide then once you have multiple opportunities where you want to go, don't just limit yourself and think like, I have an ideal job. I'm going to go out for that ideal job because that's what I really want to do. So. Yeah. Cause I was, I was going to ask like, if at any point did you consider really moving more towards, you know, I'm kind of picturing like a line with nursing on one side and law on the other side and your ideal job being kind of in the middle, right? Kind of straddling that line. And I'm wondering, did you ever consider going more towards the law side and less to the healthcare, just like as a means to pivot as opposed to get an additional skill set? Does does that make sense? Like yeah. at any point where you like... Yeah more into law than healthcare. I wasn't. It's boring. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I never, and that was my challenge. I never wanted to be stuck in an office for 80 hours to 90 hours a week. I never wanted an opportunity where I didn't have some type of involvement in healthcare. And that was challenging. So to find those types of specific jobs was a little bit difficult. But when I found them, it was like, oh, you need one more year of experience. Oh, you need this or oh, you need that. And so I applied for those entry-level risk management and quality positions. You know, I applied for um, small solo law firms that service healthcare providers and healthcare organizations. Um, and, and not just in medical malpractice, but in defense firm, like anything that you could really imagine where the intersection of health and law was there. Those are the type of opportunities I went out for. And I knew that if I just went straight legal, and did transactional law or did tax law or did something just to say that I did it, I'd be really unhappy and I would quit. And so mm-hmm. a kind of person where I like to be happy and I like to do things that bring me joy and being a nurse and being in healthcare does that for me, even though there's so many challenges that I remind myself, like, I don't have to be here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But I never wanted to stray too far from that because that's where my heart is. And I feel like that's where I, where I can make the most impact because of the way I see things in my perspective. It's not very just bedside patient care. It's so much broader and bigger. So yeah, I never decided like, oh, I'll just take the next legal legal job that comes out because it just wasn't worth it. I think that's a great lesson in, you know, really honoring what you want and, and what feels good to you. And I feel like sometimes, at least in the healthcare world, we might hear, oh, 
take whatever you can get so that you can get some experience. But on the flip side, and I'm totally with you here, you know, sometimes it's best to kind of know yourself first and create the experience and create the life in order to align with that. I know that's something I feel really strongly about. And it sounds like even though it may have been more challenging, correct me if I'm wrong, to kind of hang your own shingle or whatever that phrase is, like ultimately, do you feel like it's bringing you more satisfaction? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to take probably another five years before I'm fully like, yeah, that was a perfect decision. And I think you've kind of found me in a better place, maybe six months ago, a year ago. I'm like, I hate my life. I hate that I went to law school. Like me and my friends always talk about like, was this the wrong decision? Because a lot of attorneys are struggling to find good work and work that that they're passionate about. Um, And I feel like before the recession hit, people were walking out of law school with whatever job they wanted. It was, you know, pick your number, pick your city, pick your state, and those opportunities were there and times have just changed. And so I definitely don't think it's just me. And I and I know that if I wasn't true to myself, how much more unhappy I would be. So mm. it's hard and it's not fun to struggle and to find your own space and to create your own space, but it's also, you know, not fun to just give in to your values and just take something just to say, you know, have a title um, for me that just doesn't equate to joy and happiness. Yeah. I love that. So I want to know mainly because I'm curious, what does your kind of daily life look like now? I know that you touched on it earlier that you still work at the bedside as a nurse. So do you kind of like, depending on the day, put on a different hat or uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, in my current job, like before I worked like a Monday through Friday and so I was able to kind of separate things better, but now I work three or four days a week. So the days that I'm in the hospital, I get up really early and try to check my emails and check my case management system to see if anything has come through or if there are any tasks that are due that day and then kind of set my day from there run I used to drive but now take the train into work and um you know then I'm there for 12 hours and I try to use my lunch break to deal with any of my legal issues I've hired like an intern and a virtual assistant so I have some type of support in a way and if I do have any downtime I'm usually working on presentations or content or you know scheduling meetings um with clients and things like that but the days that I'm home in my my office is pretty much consults with clients marketing content presentations planning for the next phase of what I want to do, figuring out if I need to pivot, website edits, like all of the small business things that you do. So on the days I work three days a week, I have four days of that. And then the days that I work four days a week, I have three, but plus I'm a mom. My husband has his own business and he runs out of our house as well. So it's a busy time um, for everybody. Uh, but you know, I, it, I'm really happy. Like I like the balance of what I'm doing right now, but I do feel the shift of eventually being full-time in my practice will make me so much happier. And so Mm. I, I didn't have that before because I didn't want to do medical malpractice. So the days I was doing that type of work, it was fine, but it wasn't really bringing me joy. And so I wasn't quite ready to leave healthcare, but now that I've really found like my niche and like, this is my stride, like, this is what I want to do. I'm ready. Like, okay, now I can really kind of leave this behind when the time's right. That's awesome. So I want to know more about the topics that you are most passionate about 
that you're working with now in your legal practice. You kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, uh, but who are your kind of favorite clients to work with and your favorite causes that you're working on? Yeah. So um, my clients, I have some medical doctors who have clients who are starting their own businesses. So kind of helping them to establish their business, review contracts, edit contracts, create contracts. That work is fun. I really enjoy doing that. And that's a little bit on the short-term basis. Um, But the clients I really enjoy serving are those who come with what we call a retainer, which they pay you like a set of money. And then as the services are used, we withdraw from that bank of money. And a lot of those clients are nurse practitioners who have their own practice. So because I'm barred in Maryland, my, some of my clients are in Maryland, but I do consultations for people all over. And so those clients who have independent authority to open up their own practices do need a lot more support. They need to know, like, is this a good decision? Is this not a good decision? And they don't necessarily have a provider to call, right? And so it's like, who else do you call to make sure you're making good legal decisions is an attorney. And some nurse practitioners have a hard time finding an attorney who understands what they do um, because people just aren't well-versed in the world of healthcare and the way that we think. So there are health law attorneys who understands the regulatory aspects of healthcare, but they don't understand the patient care aspect and how that all comes together and what that looks like and what you should do from a day-to-day basis. Um, but the regulations, of course, they can work through and, and the, the case law they can work through. But a lot of nurse practitioners need a lot more support on the day-to-day and building up their practice to be comfortable to make those types of decisions for their patients and to make sure they're making them safely because they're essentially by themselves. There's no one else for them to report to. Um, So those are definitely my favorite clients in a way because it's a long-term relationship. We're able to kind of build upon our relationship through whatever issues and challenges that they have. And then after they get over those challenges, it's like, oh my goodness, like this is great, right? Like I have someone to help me through these difficult times and it's not just me by myself out there with no idea of what's going on. I also do a lot of training for organizations on implicit bias, but as the world starts to change and some people are federally funded, we'll start seeing less of implicit bias and more on change management. Um, so change management is the concept of understanding how to create change in an organization. Uh, I was trained in this specific type of change management like a year and a half ago. And it really helps to implement this when you're trying to create change in a small or large organization, understanding who's ready for change, who may be on the fence, and then those who are not ready. We spend so much time dealing with the people who are not ready that we waste time and lose value. And those who are ready and those who are kind of on the fence and with a little bit more education would be ready for change. And so applying that concept to people who are trying to create change from uh, a diversity and inclusion aspect from a new EMR system that may be coming in from just some type of educational um, opportunity that may, they mean to shift, like a culture shift that means to happen in the organization. That really gets me going because uh, people just don't see change that way. People see changes. I say things need to change. You're with it or you're not. And we, we shift the culture. But in reality, if you don't sift out those three groups of people and provide enough education for those specific groups of people, you lose your battle in creating change. Um, and I saw it happen at the site that I was at this um, for my current contract because they went from one EMR system to Epic and it was just chaos. Like 
a complete chaos because everything was online and people weren't used to it and people weren't ready and it was delayed. And then all of these things happened and people were like, I hate this system. I don't want to use it. And so instead of people really digging in, digging deep and being able to see the benefits of this new system as I'm a singular person saying, Epic, it's great. It's so easy to use. You know, you can do so much more. They're just like, no. I hate it, right? And you have more people that way because the change was just thrown on them. It, was, it wasn't it was a process. It wasn't assessed appropriately. There was no follow-up. There was a, wasn't a lot of support. Um, and so that really helps on a, from an organizational perspective on helping organizations understand that. And when you talk about it from um, an, a diversity and inclusion or a culture perspective, you really have to see your own biases, right? And so as much as people think like implicit bias equals racism, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But then there are a lot of systems that are extremely racist and in that we have to see and separate biases from racism, from systemic, from personal, and deal with those things in order to create a culture shift. Because in healthcare, if we don't, someone's life is on the line. If we have these barriers that are up when we're having conversations with our patients, we miss things that we could really be dealing with that we don't because we have these barriers in place. And so when I try to explain implicit biases to people, I always start with myself. I know I have biases and I have to check myself. And if I don't check myself, then I can't hear. Some of my biases, I grew up around, you know, people who are addicted to drugs. And so that is a bias that sits in me because that's just from history that's been around in my family. Because of that, when I deal with the patient, I have to check myself at the door, leave my personal feelings at the door and go in and see that person for who they are. Because many times we make assumptions what an addict may look like, how they may, you know, behave. They may be drug seeking. And then you walk in and they're so pleasant and so sweet and so kind, but you came in with all of this extra and that wasn't really true. And so I always try to express to people, me, a woman, a Black woman, I have biases. Everyone does. And it's to really disarm people into not thinking that I'm going to come in and attack them, but that we all have to do some internal work to make ourselves better in order for us to be better for our patients and for us to be better towards each other. And the internal work that we do that improves our healthcare system also improves the world because it that we are people of the world. Like healthcare is just a, our job. That's just something we do. But when we take what we learn in these systems and go out into the world, we make it a better place. And that's kind of what I try to get organizations to understand. I just, I could listen to you talk about this forever because <laughs> you, you are obviously so passionate about about these topics and it really, really comes through. And, you know, I've, I've seen your regular live video chats on Instagram and I love how you choose your topics because I feel like you've really identified areas that not only are you knowledgeable about, but you're passionate about and they're relevant. Like everything that you're talking about is, you know, relevant every day, but extra relevant this year, you know, in 2020, this will actually air in 2021. So I'll say it last year, but yeah, I love that you have such a gift to share that you're passionate about and you are, and you're good at. So thank you for this work that you do. <laughs> thank you. Hey, real quick, I've been spending some time researching medical malpractice insurance, and I wanted to share what I'm learning with you. And a special thanks to Berksy for partnering with me and supporting this episode of the podcast. 
So there are many instances where it might make sense to get malpractice insurance. You might run your own practice and need to insure yourself and your team, or you may want the additional peace of mind you get from extra coverage beyond what's provided by your employer. So Berksy is an insurance company that really focuses on the needs of nurses, and they're working to make getting malpractice insurance easier and more affordable. So if you are interested, you can get a free quote by heading to berksy.com slash the resume rx. That's B-E-R-X-I.com slash the resume rx. Now back to the episode. I had a few questions that came in from my audience that are legal-ish questions that I'm hoping that you can shed some light on because the majority of my audience, nurses and nurse practitioners, and we don't get a lot of access to legal advice. You know, like you said that you work with nurse practitioner business owners, but there are so many NPs who are working for other people and don't get access to whoever, you know, that business is legal counsel is. So I feel like a lot of NPs feel like they're kind of floundering when it comes to some of these topics. So I'd love to open with the question that I'm sure you get a lot, which is malpractice insurance. And specifically, when do nurse practitioners need malpractice insurance and when do they not need it? Yeah. So this has definitely been a really popular topic. It's actually my most popular video on Instagram. Um, and it's just starting to come up more frequently. So it depends on the type of work environment that you work in. So if you work in a hospital setting, you need to speak with your legal department and see what's covered, what's not covered. Um, and a lot of times they'll tell you not to get extra malpractice insurance because you're already covered under them. And that's the leverage that they use to try to get you out. But you just don't know because every healthcare system is very different the way they structure things. Um, in a way, they may, they may not see the nurse their nurse practitioners as separate providers because they're under a medical doctor who may have their own malpractice insurance. So it definitely depends how your organization is structured. That's a great question for legal. It actually should have been addressed when you signed on um, in orientation because you really do need to know if they're going to protect you or not in the case of an issue that may arise or if you're named in a lawsuit. For anyone who owns their own business outside of, you know, the work that they do every day. So a lot of people do, you know, per diem work or they may pick up shifts in different places. I think, yes, you should have your own because you're not committed to that organization and they are not committed to you. So the minute that something happens, they're going to cut ties. You're going to be on your own. But you should also speak with them and, and kind of make sure that they do have a legal team because everybody doesn't allow organizations just don't have it because they just don't feel it's necessary they, or they have some type of outside counsel that they send things to, which means that, that they have no relationship with the healthcare organization. I know most of your audiences are NPs, but if there are nurses who are in P school, nurses ne don't necessarily need uh, medical malpractice insurance, especially if you work for an organization. Now, like I said, if you're doing independent things outside of work, um, you know, I know a lot of people are opening up just small businesses and things like that. Yes, you probably should if it's still healthcare related. The issue with having everyone having malpractice insurance is if anyone ever finds out that you have it and you have an opportunity to get out the lawsuit, but they find out that you have malpractice insurance, the attorney will not negotiate you out, right? And so it's a negotiation factor. It is something that healthcare attorneys use to protect their healthcare provider. So even if a, a surgeon or a doctor has medical malpractice insurance, they will work to try to get every single person out because 
when a case is filed or there's a claim kind of being put together, they're going to put every person's name who had ever touched the chart. So every nurse, every nurse practitioner, every any radiology, they'll put anyone's name on there because they want to figure out who is, has the most money and then they'll figure out liability later. Then the investigation kind of happens internally about what really happened, who was really involved. And then they start just kicking people's names off. Like, okay, this person wasn't necessarily involved. So we definitely should take these group of people off. And then you kind of get to the people who are left who may potentially have been involved in that in that claim. And then it's the negotiating factor of like, okay, well, yes, this nurse may have been involved and we can deal with whatever internal issue that happened. But if you name her, that's not going to do anything. You're not going to get any money. It's not going to be beneficial. And that's how attorneys kind of have conversations amongst each other about who should be named in a lawsuit and who shouldn't. Midwives are the ones who should have a very separate conversation. They're a very special group of people. And in that, they should really speak with legal and developing a plan if they're workers. I know a lot of midwives sometimes work in hospitals and work in the community and things like that about how you should structure your um, medical malpractice coverage. Uh, that's super special and super important. And it's not something I would even advise on like, this is the best option because it's, it just depends on where you work and, and what type of legal structure, you know, your organization has. So do you think it's safe to say that if your employer has a legal department, that they will give you kind of an unbiased, truthful recommendation as an employee, whether you should have malpractice insurance? I would say, yeah, I would say most attorneys do have the best interest of the providers in mind. And I think so from what I've worked with, they really do care about their providers and they don't want to lose them. And so if they allow you to be named in a lawsuit, you're not going to want to stay there. You're not going to feel protected. You're not going to feel appreciated. And so they do work really hard to get providers out of those situations. I do think they'll be very honest about what you should do. And then you could always consult with an attorney if you feel like, hmm, I don't really like the vibe, like if it's a little shady. And I know people have come to me when this conversation was coming up, people were sending me DMs like, oh, something happened and my hospital decided not to protect me. I'm like, okay, there's and, or, and like my name was sent to the board or the, a complaint was sent to the board. In that, there is a different type of insurance that you can have to protect your license, but that's not malpractice insurance. That's, it's something completely different. And so I think that is a conversation that I definitely will expand on eventually because I never really heard of it until I started researching like, what can a nurse do to protect their license versus, you know, getting malpractice insurance? And there is another type of insurance, but what insurance providers do is tell you to get the malpractice insurance and then add the license protection on the, on the flip side. But all you really need is the license protection. You may not necessarily need both. So I think yes and no, you know, um, that's when you kind of have to go in and know your organization. So the organization that I used to work for, attorney would come on orientation and be very clear. Like, don't get malpractice insurance. You don't need this. This is like very clear. And then every six months he would do his rounds and like clarify everything he said in orientation. It was just, so we knew where we stood with legal and and that was that. But I, I don't know if every organization is that honest. I, I hope so. The ones that I've worked for and work with, yes, but it's not guaranteed. I seem to think that if you ask a supplier of malpractice insurance, you might not get the most unbiased opinion. But I would like to think that if you're asking an attorney, even if they do 
you know, work for your employer, they should, because they work for the employer, they should hopefully have, you know, your best interest at heart, I guess. So a lot of my audience are nurse practitioners who may be negotiating their first or subsequent contract. And that's hard for people to look at and to read if they've never done that before. So first I want to ask are there specific questions that NPs should be asking about the malpractice insurance that's provided by their employer? Because sometimes it just says malpractice insurance to be provided by employer. So are there specific questions that they should be asking about it? Um, I think you can ask like how many claims have been brought against nurse practitioners in your um, organization and how was that handled? You know, I think that will give you a clear insight on oh, we immediately made sure their name, you know, they weren't named in the lawsuit before things went through or before they were settled. So you, I think that's the key question to ask. Like, you know, how many nurse practitioners have been named in litigation in the last three years? And it, when that happened, you know, what did your legal team do? And I think it's an awkward question to ask if you've never asked it before. So you should probably practice five times before you go <laughs> um, or write it down because it's going to catch them off guard because most people don't ask those type of questions. Um, it is an abnormal question to ask because people just assume and then you may assume wrong. So it is a good question to ask. And I think any other questions would be to say, like, in case I am named and maybe potentially held responsible, what happens after that? What does that look like? What type of protection do I receive? Um, will you help me, you know, protect my license, you know, against the board? Because that's really what it comes down to. They may get you out of the lawsuit, but they may not get you off the complaint against the board. That's really where people get confused. They just assume that their legal protection extends beyond uh, just the litigation claim. And it really focuses also on their um, license being protected. And it doesn't. It doesn't. There's two separate entities. So what if a nurse practitioner has changed jobs, but, you know, there's a delay in the the claim or the lawsuit and it's from a previous position? Is there something specific that when they're leaving or when they're when they're hiring, they should be doing in terms of malpractice insurance to cover them after they've left the employer? Yeah. So there's a type of malpractice insurance that covers that lapse, like that time difference um, to protect you in an old position. Um, so it, I would also speak to their legal department and see what happens, because usually for a client, it takes years for any situation to like, it could be the simplest thing, a fall. It could take two years for everybody to get on the right track, all the paperwork together, all of the documents received, and then the conversation to even begin about what's gonna happen next. So for something that's even more complex, it could take even longer and you could potentially have left. So I would say to speak to the legal department about that situation, if I leave and there's a claim, what happens then? A lot of times they definitely try to get you out because they they just don't know you. They, they don't want you to be involved in a claim and then get up and have to be deposed or testify and then say some crazy things about them, right? I think they also are seeking to protect themselves from angry providers who may have left because they hated them. So, and I speak, I tell nurses that too, like, you know, nobody wants a nurse on the stand because the nurse is not going to just tell one thing. They're going to just tell everything. So nobody wants the nurse to de depose. Nobody wants the, the angry nurse practitioner who left after two years because she had way more patience and more promise. Like they don't want them deposed. So they may still have your best interest in mind that also protects their best interest, which is not having you in front of attorney sharing information that they 
they don't want to share. I think that's such a good point, you know, to make that really ultimately employers don't want you to have to testify or be deposed or have to answer those types of questions. Not only do we not want to have to go through it, but I think, you know, great point that our employers want to avoid that as well. So that's excellent. Is that called tail insurance? Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like that's maybe a buzzword that people have heard about, but they're not exactly sure what it is. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll make sure that we note that that's tail insurance to answer to answer that question. So with the couple minutes left that we have, I want to hear more about how you specifically work with nurse practitioners who maybe aren't necessarily opening their own business, but maybe they are in employment negotiations or have a contract to look over. I think that you offer services like that. And I'd love to hear more about that and share with my audience. Yes. Yeah, so as of right now, I do offer some I recently started offering offering some flat fee services to help nurse practitioners do contract review negotiation and help them to prepare to sit at the table, ask the right questions, kind of tear the contract apart and make sure there aren't things that may blow up later. And then if you don't get everything that you want to help them prepare for negotiations at their annual review, because I think sometimes people think, oh, if I don't get it in, you know, the beginning, then I just won't worry about it. Like, no, you get your annual and you'll kind of hold them to that. Like, okay, well, we'll push this to my six month or annual review. And in that it gives you some leverage to work really hard and for them to figure out what they want to do to support you and keep you since you are working so hard. But as we go into the new year, I'm revamping a lot of my services and to be more expansive of my time. And so I will be creating some courses to help people understand the legal world. So a lot of the conversation that I have on Instagram, they're short. And then, you know, people just don't pay attention to Instagram for 30 minutes all the time. So it gives people an opportunity to understand from the beginning to the end what attorneys do if you're named in a claim, how to protect your license documentation, all these questions that can continue to come up, but you don't necessarily need to hire a lawyer for. And then for nurse practitioners, like I said, who open their businesses, I do have retainer fees. So as the new year comes, I can't guarantee that I will necessarily still be doing just contract review. I haven't had a lot of clients who just necessarily just want a contract review. I know maybe more people will come in the next few weeks when this is shared with people, but I think having those conversations, I'm always available. Like if people email me, I'm not, I'm not a nitpicker where I'm just like, oh, you have to pay me for every minute of my time. Sometimes people just have a simple question and I will make time when I do have time to try to answer those types of questions. So when the new year comes, as I'm still assessing what I'm going to be doing in 2021, if I'll continue those services, I'll definitely share, share with you all. Awesome. And where can people find you on Instagram and online? So Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, I'm at your nurse lawyer. And yeah, that's, and I have a website, um, iwilliamslaw.com, which has a lot of information as well. LinkedIn is about to be my new home. I'm trying to get into it. <laughs> Instagram is fun, but I feel like LinkedIn is where all the money is. That's where the business <laughs> is happening. So I'm going to head over to LinkedIn. So yeah, you can follow me over there as well. And I'll be sharing, but my Instagram has so many videos, so much information, legal, healthcare, the intersection of them both, just anything. Most of the things that we've talked about today, a lot of that information is already on my Instagram and I'm always answering my DMs. Um, if people have questions about specific things. So feel free to reach out. 
I was also going to say how valuable just if you never added another post or another video, your Instagram is just like a legacy Instagram because you have just really put out some fantastic content that's really for everybody. You know, we're not talking about only for nurses, only for NPs, you know, only for business owners, really anyone can benefit from um, some of the great topics that you have shared. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with everybody for free. That is amazing that you have done that. (laughs) And um, thank you so much again for your time. And I will make sure that all your links and handles and everything are in the show notes so that people can connect with you, which I'm sure that they will do. Yes, I appreciate that. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.